0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Hope all of you are having a great day or evening, wherever you are, whenever you are listening to the podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, it is a double box. It's a double box, which means I have a guest on. And for those of you that are uh, listening via audio, which is iHeartRadio or Odyssey or wherever you get your podcasts, um, I have a very special guest on this episode in which I'm fired to talk to because this is someone I actually have watched for a number of years, um, whether it, playing days, broadcasting career, and as well as now doing um, terrific work um, in the podcast um, industry um, with um, my good friend Tim Peel, who I am a big fan of and as well as a big fan of the, the podcast Snipes and Stripes, which you can catch also in Believe and as well as on all the platforms as well. Jeremy Roenick, the multi-all-star, the 500-goal extraordinaire himself, and a man who's not afraid to share his opinions on all things hockey. So this is this is why I brought him on the pod. So yes. sit back, enjoy Jeremy, welcome to the pod. How are you doing, my friend?
1: Uh, I'm awesome. It's great to be on your show. I really appreciate it. Um, another Philly guy, you're in Philly right now. You know how much Philly means to me, so beyond mm, uh, oh yeah. be with you is great i appreciate those sentiments you're amazing and i just want you to know that i'm enjoying this beautiful podcast while
0: that is amazing the man
1: getting a, the- <laughs> getting a pedicure <laughs> listen
0: listen i am i i am like very much like damn i wish I could I wish I could be enjoying the moment at, while you're getting your foot rubbed, <laughs> while you're getting like you're like a, a a pedicure or whatever, like yep. I mean, how, how badass is that? Seriously. I mean, my goodness. Hey, listen, you have a level never, of dramatics,
1: which doesn't surprise me. Never 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 be surprised by something that I'm going to do, right? That's what I'm, <laughs> I'm sure I'm the first I'm sure I'm your first guest to have a pedicure while doing a, a great, great podcast like yourself. So um thank you so i'm a, i'm a, i'm gonna feel pretty good while i'm uh enjoying talking to you today so you know getting those getting those hangnails out of my toes since they've been in my skates <laughs> for so long you know oh. it's a beautiful thing it's a beautiful thing
0: it, it is but it's really graphic i'm like i mean <laughs> i mean but of course of course hangnails any nails like that's that's gotta get removed is oh yeah it's oh, yeah. a beauty yeah.
1: Yeah, you got You got You got to have nice feet in life. You got to have nice feet in life. It's a, it's a priority. It's a priority. Mm, why is it a priority? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Like, no, why, just, why, why is it a priority to you? Why? Because there's so many people that do not like feet. Because they like don't like feet because either they smell, they look mm-hmm. funky, or they look janky, or they just go yeah. toes that go all over the place. Yeah. And and I don't. I like my feet rubbed, and nobody's going to want to rub janky feet so yeah yeah so you got to take good care of them take good care of your feet
0: that is that is true i'm not even mad at that at all and <laughs> listen like you are and i'm not saying this a blow smoke up your ass but i genuinely mean it but you talk about one of the great characters that the nhl has known um and in all facets both when, when you were playing and as well as um your post-playing career including in media as well and Jeremy, like where do you where do you get such a an engaging, fearless, opinionated personality from? Where do you get it from? Like what is does it originate from?
1: Well, I think number one, it's the competitiveness, it's the passion, right? When you yeah. love something, when you love something, you, you you're you gotta be all in. And you, you know, you can't dip a toe in it. You can't, you know, test the waters. You gotta go in and you gotta do everything possible. And yeah. pro sports, you're not gonna be the best mm-hmm. and you're not gonna be effective. Um, if 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 you don't put everything into it, and I I mean emotionally, mm-hmm. physically, um, mentally, there are a lot of things that, that that make these athletes the great athletes. Now, also, I also understood that the media was mm-hmm. my friend. Even though sometimes they wrote some bad things about me, they also were my conduit to mm-hmm. my favorite people in the world, and that was the fans. Yeah. So I always made sure that I that I entertained the fans through the media. I treated the media. Um, well, I gave them I gave them a real quote, one that they could write and, and be happy to write. Um, ones that read, you know, got their articles out there, so it made them more popular. But it mm-hmm. gave the fan, it gave the fans um, the ability to kind of understand me and see me and as how I was. Because listen, I love life, I love sports, I love people. Until that person decides that they don't want, they don't, they don't deserve it anymore. So I. That's kind of how I've rolled my whole life and um, the fans have been really important to me and I've treated them um, with the respect that I think they deserve and I've done it in person and I've done it through the media. So um, I was lucky to be able to have that personality where cameras didn't bother me. I didn't mind pushing the buttons, pushing the edges, pushing the limits. And um, I I really didn't care about the repercussions because I always went out and played really hard. You know you can't talk and not play hard and I was always, always knew that my my effort on the ice was going to be one hundred percent, so I always felt like I, I can I could talk because I knew I would walk the walk
0: you came up in an era in which that it was this is like late eighties you came into the league with the Chicago Blackhawks, and personally, I'm a sucker for old time NHL stadiums like in arenas like the forum I, I wish i've had the opportunity to go in, and see what the forum was like yeah. i wish i've had had the chance to check out the olympia um like the old boston garden like the yeah. boston being, being having an extremely special place in my heart yeah. um in philadelphia knowing philadelphia has a special place in your heart the, the old yeah. spectrum so, um, okay. and so forth and and you and you played in chicago stadium yep. what was that experience like in playing in such in such, in such a legendary arena and with all of the character and everything else that went into it,
1: yeah, it was unbelievable. And you know, hockey, hockey started with six teams, the original six, and that those original six are so glorified by our league, so glorified by so many hockey fans, and the history of hockey that has started in those buildings is a real special thing. That um, that if you've got a chance to see it, um, experience it. For me, playing it, I played in fifty-seven NHL buildings during my career. Wow, fifty-seven NHL buildings, and you know it's really sad that um, that the old ones that were had the most character. You said Chicago Stadium. There is not a there is not a building built on this planet that had more energy, that had more charisma, that had more um, just chills that that went up and down your spine. Um, during an anthem Um, to play in that building was fierce was rough going into Montreal Forum and seeing the history behind that seeing all those Stanley Cup banners seeing the people that are in the rafters there with their jerseys retired it it was a you're walking into into hockey hockey greatness like literally historical greatness and that's intimidating i love playing in the old maple leaf gardens which was you know maple leaf gardens we used to sit on the bench and this is no word of a lie and there was no glass around our bench literally you're sitting if you're at the end of the bench you are literally sitting next to a fan and and without any partition literally you are a foot and a half away from the fan and you're on the bench and they're sitting in their seat right inside the glass Mm. And you know how many times I've sat on the ends of that bench and ate somebody's popcorn or took a sip of their beer. <laughs> um, wow. And 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 fans would walk behind the bench. They could they could they could reach up and touch Mike Keenan as they walked to wow. their seats. I mean, these are the things that um, that these old barns that you'll never see again. The intimacy of them was so spectacular and. Um, you no, know, the only bad thing was is they were old, right? So the showers were bad. It was cold water. There were, you know, cockroaches running all over the places and rats mm. running all over the place. Yeah. But still that that didn't even bother you because you understood those those ranks. Boston Garden, same thing. You know, I grew up I grew up, you know, as a kid, you know, sneaking into the Boston Garden and watching games with my buddies and stuff like that. It was just that was that was it's there it's amazing history of of the National Hockey League are the old barns. It's pretty yeah. crazy yeah
0: like which which old barn was the most special for you to walk into and play on or whenever you got the chance to go as a visiting player
1: for me it was toronto because i played the best Mm. against toronto i I think i scored more points against toronto than any team in the national hockey league because i just loved walking into that building i love the feeling of playing in front of those fans um i was intimidated actually walking into montreal forum it was a little intimidating for me that's it was uh, such a different aura and and yeah. kind of mentality than tr- the Maple Leaf Gardens was. And Maple Leaf Gardens was alive and vibrant mm-hmm. and uh, you know yeah. all those yellow seats in there. Then you yes. go into Montreal so Forum and it's darker so and it's and it's light at the you ice, dark, at top, dark right? at top, kind of like the spectrum used to be. You Couldn't see the top, red seats all over the place and just more more uh, like Thursday dark and mysterious. Thursday. Whereas I loved going into Toronto and just making sure everybody saw me light that team up. Okay.
0: Wow. Yeah, it's great. Uh, like was there a distinct stench? And again, I'm a sucker for all like for all arenas when it comes oh, to yeah. especially when it comes to like the like the importance that it has in the history of the NHL. Was there like a like an order that each building uh, had or was yeah. it all like similar?
1: Oh no, no, there was a musky there was a musky scent to all those buildings. You know, mm. down below when you walk through the you know the bottom of those arenas when you walked into the locker room. Um, you know, it, it was like a, a thousand a hundred years of sweat you know it was just that you could smell it you could it, it was part of the whole aura of going in there because it just you know it smelled old and it looked old and it was you know the wood was the wood was beaten up and you know it was crazy it was really crazy
0: you mentioned that you're, you're, you're a boston guy you're, you're from boston you were born and raised and you went to games at the old boston garden and this season being the 100th anniversary or um, season of the Boston Bruins, that came into the NHL in 1924. Share with me your childhood memories of growing up going to the Boston Garden and as well as just how special this centennial season is um, to the Boston Bruins and, and perhaps even yourself as well.
1: Yeah, well, back in the late 70s, you know, it's, you know, go and watch Peter McNabb and Brad Park mm-hmm. and, you know, all those, you know, rick middleton was was my favorite player growing up and wow. i remember you know being able to go in and run down to this to the glass just to watch warm-ups right mm-hmm. um we would sit in the upper upper balcony but i would always go down before to watch warm-ups right and mm-hmm. wish that i got to sit down there but we always yeah. sat up in the in the in the rafters when i was a kid and mm-hmm. um you know just watching i remember watching stan jonathan you know i was i was so amazed at a guy his size would beat the hell out of guys twice the size of him. And watching, you know, the old old school mentality, hockey, um, you know, no helmets. I thought wearing no helmets was so cool. And, you know, I wanted to do that when I got older, right? But, um, you know, and as I got older, you know, going with my friends and, you know, taking the train, you know, from from school into the city and going to games, right, with my buddies, Um, you know, whether we had tickets or finding tickets or trying to sneak in, you know, those were was always like the good moments and then when I was 14 you know Wayne Gretzky asked me to you know to a game he took me out for breakfast um, yeah, I went out to breakfast with Wayne and then went to the arena walked into the Boston garden with Wayne went into the locker room with Wayne and um, you know when he was there to play the Bruins and you know when you when you walk into the into the Boston Garden into the locker room area down into the doldrums of Boston mm-hmm. for the first time with Wayne Gretzky it's a different experience my friend it was a different experience it's one i'll never forget and um i remember being being there my my rookie year and um remembering you know being in that in that visiting locker room and seeing where i sat next to gretz you know it's just like just really cool memories that i have of, of boston garden yeah
0: like share with me the story of how how did you end up getting the chance of a lifetime to go out to breakfast with the greatest of all time
1: I mean that, that's yeah that's just the time yeah. Plainly. yeah yeah at the time I was 14 I was 14 almost 15 years old and Gretzky owned the hall olympics up in the Quebec mm. junior league and um i had been scouted by a, a man named Charlie Henry who was which was Wayne Gretzky's very good friend and a general manager of Hull and and he said Henry Charlie Henry says hey Wayne you got to get this kid to come play for your team. You're going to Boston. Let's invite him to a game. If we can get this kid to come to our team, we're going to have the best team in the league. And uh so, you know, Gretz called me and you know, Charlie Henry flew down and they courted me to try to get me to go play major junior and leave high school to go play major junior in the in the Quebec Major Junior League. Um, my mom didn't let me do it. She said no. <laughs> so I had to say I had to say no to Gretzky and, and Charlie, but Uh, full circle uh, I ended up I did end up playing 26 games with Hall in which was three years later um, after I got drafted and the Chicago Blackhawks sent me to junior for 26 games where I think I scored like 72 points in 26 games and 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 he and Charlie Henry was right because we did have a hell of a team that should have won the um, the uh, um, the um, the cup that year in major junior
0: Wow. Like right, so, going back to, to your da- your years in Chicago, you played for Mike Keenan, mm-hmm. and Mike Keenan, for those of you that don't know, is one of the f- most fiery head coaches that ever coached behind the benches in, the, uh, in NHL history, and obviously won the Stanley Cup as a head coach of the New York Rangers in '94. Tell me about like your experiences when you first interacted and when when you first met uh, Mike Keenan. Your experiences playing for him and those early um, those early '90s Chicago Blackhawks team that were. That were good, but just not quite good enough to, to ultimately win the cup.
1: Yeah, well, he was a, he was a very intimidating man. V- by the way, a very good coach. Um, extremely um, opinionated. And a guy that I really didn't understand or know the first few days of camp. Um, mm. He let me be. Um, he allowed me to go out and play the style of game that I, that I could play and see what I had. <clears throat> um, but he let me know really quick the second week. Uh, that I was in camp at 18 years old playing in Kalamazoo because remember I'm coming out of high school um, when I was 18 years old 1988 and I was not a hitter I did not play physical I was not a physical presence at all I was just fast and talented and in my so Keenan put me in um, a preseason game in Kalamazoo the second week of camp and I wouldn't hit anybody I was just chasing the puck everywhere I wasn't finishing my checks and I learned exactly who Mike Keenan was in the second period because I missed a check or didn't, I swung by a check and Mike Keenan comes running down the bench and grabs me by the throat, literally grabs me by the throat and pulls me backwards on the bench and yelling so loud that he's almost spitting on my face. He's yelling at me that if I swing past one more check, I swing past one more check, I will never play a game for him in the National Hockey League. And he says, You understand me? And I said, Yes. And literally almost tears coming out of my eyes because he had me almost choking me on the bench. Right. And, um, and he scared me into a physical mentality role that I never had. And I've, and I realized that number one, I could, even though I was 158 pounds, I knew that at my speed, I could get going and I can hit hard with my speed. And then I'd hit people really hard, and it would hurt me too, but I saw the fans went crazy, they loved it. And then I'd score a goal, and the fans went crazy again. So I actually, Mike Keenan taught me how to have a multi-dimensional game, and how to be fierce, and how to have toughness, how to play through pain, because if you didn't do those things, you would not play. You were not playing in the game. You're not playing in the league. And, um, now that's a it's a it's a special gift that i got very early because i didn't mind tough coaches i had my dad was a tough coach my high school coach was a very very tough stern coach i didn't mind tough coaches i actually responded to him well um but Mike keenan was he was w- one of the most intimidating he always believed that um comfort leads to complac complacent uh, complacency Licency, yeah so it was always he was always mean he was always yelling at people he he made it uneasy in the locker room all the time. There were fights during practice all the time, and Keenan loved it. He wanted he wanted people to be angry all the time. He wanted people to be uneasy because that's when they play their best. That's a hard team to play against when they're not complacent, okay. when, they're, when they're not comfortable. Yeah. And Mike Keenan okay. didn't make it comfortable ever, ever. Uh-uh. But I will tell you this. I will tell you this. One time a year, always one time a year, Mike Keenan would walk into the locker room with all of his equipment on. And he goes, Boys, here's your opportunity. We're scrimmaging. And Mike Keenan would play 30 minutes with one team. Yep. And then he'd change jerseys and he'd play 30 minutes with the other team. And you could go at him anytime you want. You could hit him, you can fight him, you can slash him, you can do whatever you wanted to in that game. And let me tell you something. After that game, Mike Keenan would come in the locker room and said, Boys, I'm still here. And he would throw a couple expletives at you and then leave the locker room. But he had cuts and blood all over him but let me tell you something a lot of players had cuts and blood all over them too and it was a sight to see but he did that he allowed players to go after him one time a year and it was pretty special to watch oh that, that's incredible um
0: wow like when, when you talk about um like the fact that you love playing like playing for um for tough intimidating coaches um a, a certain coach came to mind and you being the the, the hockey like extraordinary that you are Scott um, Scotty um, Bowman came to mind. Mm-hmm. Were there any similarities in terms of like in terms of characteristics specifically in terms of coaching styles between Bowman and, and Keenan or, or or do you think that, th- that there was definitely more of a contrast between the two coaches?
1: I, I think the similarities were um, very obvious. The mm. similarities were the, were the, the absolute serious stern face that they had all the time. I mean, it was all business for them. You very, very rarely saw them either smile um you saw them kind of being very methodical. They were very good thinkers. Mike Keenan was more of a screamer. He would scream. He was more animated um, and I think he was harder on players than uh, like physically and verbally than um, than um, our other, our other boy but um, but again, both of them were extremely good good coaches and very smart but one one beat you up mentally and kind of um psychologically whereas keenan would literally you know do all of the above so two of the best coaches i think ever in the game
0: i mean it's it's incredible because like i remember reading stories about like mike keenan and how he was able to um like to not just motivate, but as well as, to, to an extent, inspire. Um, uh, those Ranger teams that that ultimately pro- broke that fifty-four year um, c- um curse, winning the Stanley Cup in, in '94. And I think mean, I want to go back to your career. Well, you guys um, remember
1: Mike Ke- Mike, Ke- Mike Keenan didn't care whether you liked him or not. He just mm, wanted to yeah. win. He just wanted results. And there are a lot of players that didn't like Mike Keenan. I can rattle off ten or fifteen guys that just can't stand him. And you know, that's and that's that's okay, but. but Listen, he he got to the finals a few times. He won a final in 94. Uh, the guy, was, he was effective. And, you know, I, I think if you go back and you ask Mike Keenan right now if he would change a few things, I think he would change a few things. But I think his mentality and his direction and his, and his craving for, for winning, will never, never change.
0: Before we hit record, we were talking about how special Philly is to you and still is to hmm. this day. You went to the Philadelphia Flyers on in the 2000 um in the 2001-2002 season. You played 75 games and you had um 67 points that season. What was it about the Flyers and the fans in Philly that um that connected you to have such a, a special place in your heart? Um was it the, the Flyers culture, especially in those early 2000 teams? There was there was a really good Flyer teams in the early 2000s that in fact, I would say in 2004, they should have beat Tampa Bay That's, in that Eastern Conference just, Finals. Go ahead.
1: It, it's funny you say that because 2004 is the best team I've ever been a part of. Best, wow. The most talented, the best team I was ever on in my life. And we should have won. If we didn't have as many injuries as we had, I had major concussions. I was literally playing, seeing, you know, three pucks. Um, wow. we, we, that was our year to win. It. There was not a better team in the National Hockey League that year. And not, I have not been on a better hockey team in the National Hockey League, then the, the two thousand four Flyer team. But I'll tell you when I when I got to Philadelphia, the, there was an instant um, I think admiration and appreciation because I always looked at it, you know, when I played in Philly, it was rough. It was hard nose. I mean, take take out the Broad Street Bullies mentality, but just being in that old, you know, in, in that old barn with the spectrum was intimidating. The fans yelling, the fans' involvement, the physical physicality on the ice. we I mean, you talk it, and we can go on d- down the line. All the tough guys that played for Philly, but I always felt that I played the game the way that the Philly fans cheered the game, right? With all their passion, with all their might, with all their energy, and I knew all they want is a is a good hard working a hard working player, a guy who puts in the work, a guy who fights, the guy who and I don't think they even care if you produce. They they want to see you work. They want to see you that you care, and that I knew I could give them. And we just we just gel. There's not a place that I don't go, in the course of a day, where I don't find a Philly fan, or a Philly or a big Philly guy that, um, and I hug every single one of them. Everyone I give them a hug, whether it's in the airport, whether it's in a grocery store, whether it's in a restaurant. Um, we had a re- we still have a very special bond with Flyer fans. It's it's kind of unique, and even though I was there for th- only three years of playing, it's very strong. You you played with um, with Rick Tockett, and
0: like you see the success that he's having with the Vancouver Canucks, in which that to a lot of people's surprise. The Canucks are one of the teams that, that have a legitimate chance to win in the Stanley Cup this year. And and, look, and just looking at the core that the Canucks currently have, it doesn't surprise me with the likes of of, of Quinn Hughes, um, Brock Bozer, um, as, as well as JT Miller, um, and then the, the goaltender they're getting from Thatcher Dinko. You having a chance to play with um, where Rick Tockett, and now you're seeing the success he's having as a head coach with the Canucks. Does it surprise you at all with the success that he's having on, in Vancouver? And what did you see early on like when you when you played with we were talking in Philadelphia that led you to um, maybe oh, did you, to believe that you that he would actually become an, a, a successful NHL head coach?
1: Oh yeah, it does, doesn't surprise me at all. I played with Talk in, in Arizona. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was in uh, no, 1999 oh. 2000. So yeah. Talk and I were very close. And um, he's probably one of the main reasons why I went to play in Philly, so I can play with him again. Um, That's the type of respect that Toc has for from his teammates. I mean, he's he's one of the the best players, slash fighters, tough guys, power forwards in the history of the game. And he was a smart guy. He was a great leader. He always said the right things. He always did the right things. He always put a hundred percent effort in. Now, you know, I knew you knew that he was going to stay in hockey after hockey because his passion and love for it. And then he went to be assistant coach in, in, in Pittsburgh and doing all that. Then he became head coach in Arizona. Unfortunately, he didn't have a very good team in Arizona, and he, his, his hands were pretty much handcuffed. He, he was, you know, he was handcuffed with a bad team. So that's not his fault. I think I think he got a lot out of Arizona, but you put him on a team like Vancouver with exceptional talent like, he, yeah. like they have, um, Talk is going to be an amazing motivator because who's not going to come into that locker room and mm-hmm. see the face and the mug and the and the melon of Rick Tockett, knowing his career and what he did, and make an excuse why you didn't play very well? You're not going to do it. Yeah. You, you are held to a different standard when you have a player like Talk as a coach. Um, but Talk is one of those guys who allows the player to be who they are, but also be responsible when they don't have the puck he lets players you know take what what they're best at and and expose it expose it to everybody use it and do it within the system and you know i once i once said to talk talk asked me a question says "What, what can i say to these guys like because he was finding it hard to motivate um these young guys in arizona you know get get the consistency out of them and i told talk i said talk Just, just go to your guys, and say, "Hey, listen, boys, I need you three times a week. Like, let's just, let's just break it down. I need you guys three times a week to show up to give me every ounce of energy and give me the best effort that you have. You know, if you have, if you give me a great effort in the ice the night before we win, I don't care what you do in practice next day. Take it off. You can flow every, every day in practice. But if you come those three days, and you give me everything you got, Uh and you engage, you play physical, and you play the way you're supposed to." And we're not going to win every game, but you show me the effort, and you show me that you care. You can take the other four days off for all I care. And I think when you think about that, when you break it down, these kids are like, "Dude, I really all I have to do for three days is just come and bring my work out there for three days. I'm in. I'm on your. I'm on your board. I'm on your plan." And I think, I think, I think Toc, I think Tox says that mentality to his team mm-hmm. um, up in Vancouver. Dude, we got three nights. We got to work. The other time. The other, the other the other four days we'll have fun as a team but yeah. three days you're bringing it and i think that's a it's a it's a very simple way to tell these kids listen it's time to play it's time to prepare and there's time to, to relax and, and let it let your let your guard down so it's important
0: the canucks they just acquired elias lindholm from from the calgary flames in which the, the night that the news broke it actually shot it shocked me because I was one of those who believed that there was going to be a ransom on demand from Calgary in order to get Lindholm and add them and add him to um, that toxic on unit. And I look at Vancouver currently right now and I say, Lindholm and Pedersen, are you kidding me? This has got to be one, one of, if not the best one 2 center. Um Center punch in the league When they acquired Lindholm Jeremy like mm-hmm. what Were some of your first initial Thoughts and as well as Just how much more dangerous has Vancouver become in your eyes um, For the rest of the league
1: Well my initial thought was wow Vancouver Thinks they have a chance this year Vancouver's going for it Right that's my initial thought I'm like wow they, they were able to bring on a player like Elias Lindholm um, They have a shot and they're gonna they're gonna bring the best players that they possibly can in to have the best shot to win.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, I I don't know how they were able to pull off that that move uh, to get a player like that and not disrupt their their main core team. But um, you gotta give you gotta give them credit, man. They they put themselves in a position to win a Stanley Cup and to have. You know, you win down the middle. I mean, you see what the Kings did a long yes. time ago. You see what the Chicago Blackhawks did mm-hmm. uh, when they were on their run. Uh, there's what the Pittsburgh Penguins did. You you win with a good goaltender, and you win down through the middle. And that's what they did. That They, they improved their middle. They have an unbelievable goaltender. Obviously, we see what Demko's doing. Um, that team will scare me. That team will scare me uh, offensively. You, they're a team you can't push out, so. And I, would hope, I hope great things for Tock, too. I mean, that would be awesome to see Tockett win a Stanley Cup as a coach for me. Because, unfortunately, he got a bad rap in Arizona. And I'm mm-hmm. glad he got a second chance there in Vancouver.
0: Absolutely. And I saw your your video in which you made it very clear on the Snipes and Stripes podcast, you were not happy with Nikita Kucherov and his effort in the All-Star Game. I, I saw just the last, I thought it was a last adaisical effort in a skills competition. I'm like, what Like, what are we doing here? Like, you're supposed to be giving your best effort, and of course, when you're in a hockey market like Toronto, you're, they're going to let you have it, and I just want to get your thoughts on what you, saw, um, what you saw from Kucherov in the skills competition. I mean, ultimately, it, it may not even matter in the grand scheme of things, but just in that moment in time, like, the frustration and the angst that you and as well as and I'm sure other hockey fans who saw the same thing on Friday night as
1: well. Well, I think it was disrespectful. Um, and I don't care if it's an all-star game. Um, you know, if you didn't want to, if you didn't want to do it, if you didn't, if you weren't into it, then stay home, hmm. Just stay home. You know, don't even embarrass yourself and don't embarrass your team and don't mock a special event and a, and a really a celebration event to celebrate the best players of the best players. Mm-hmm. Like to me I loved being a- acknowledged as one of the best players of the best players in the world. And it, it's a different mentality and whether Nikita Kucherov cares or not that mm-hmm. he's looked viewed upon that he has a responsibility to represent his team. Yes. To go to go all those people in that in that building Let me tell you something. Mm -hmm. They spent a lot of money to go watch that skills competition. They were excited to go there and watch people perform, to see these guys do what they do best, and to perform at a high level. It's a kick in the teeth and a disrespect to the fans to go out there and show a half-ass, lackluster, poor performance. Look what Conor McDavid did. Conor McDavid was the exact opposite. I have never never in my life seen a player in an all-star game give the effort that Connor McDavid gave every single uh, whether it was the accuracy shooting whether it was the speed whether it was the obstacle course um, he put everything into it you know why because he's a proud person he wants to win he wants to entertain people he, his name is on it um, if there's anybody in the game that didn't have to go as hard as, as he needed to would have been Connor mm-hmm. McDavid and he was the hardest worker there. So the fact that the fact that Kucherov did that um, in that environment really disappointed me. Because I'm a big I'm a big Nikita Kucherov fan. Okay, I, I love the guy. I love the way he plays. I'm I've talked to him many 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 a time. But th- that performance really disappointed me. I still love Nikita Kucherov, but that doesn't mean that I can't be really disappointed in, in his performance on Friday.
0: Yeah, like that they're not they're not mutually exclusive, and it's definitely one hundred percent understandable. I mean, Nikita Kucherov is currently one of the one of the best pure goal scorers in the league. I mean, absolutely, just lethal on with the Tampa Bay Lightning, and you you in your own right were on um, were one of the best goal scorers in the league. So much so that one night you had a four goal game against the New York Islanders back in '94. Yeah. What are your memories and recollections from that particular game in which that? Just seemingly, everything came easy to you. You yeah. scored four goals in a five-two win for the Blackhawks. Uh,
1: uh, unfortunately, not too many because all my concussions, like are- <laughs> <laughs> my, my concussions, keep me from remembering a whole bunch. Oh I man! <laughs> I knew I have, a, I knew I had a four-goal game there. I had a four-goal yeah. game in Buffalo. Um, I had a couple more four-goal games, but uh, you know, sometimes the, the the net just looks like a soccer goal, right? And it's you get opportunities and your body feels good and everything just rolls, right? Everything just seems to flow kind of, kind of like Wyndham Clark uh, at Pebble beach last week, you know, when he was mm. shot that 60, you know, it looked like he was, he was putting into a sewage drain, you know, it's just <laughs> everything went in the hole. That's, that's, that's how it would feel for me. I've, if I scored early in a game, then look out, it could be three, four, five. I knew it was going to be a good night if I scored early, because it's just your whole mentality and your whole demeanor changes. And um, yeah, it's a lot of fun scoring goals. I listen, the best goal scorer right now in the game is Austin Matthews. What he's yeah, doing man. right now is absolutely spectacular. He's got what, what 40 goals in 48 games. I mean, yeah. this guy, he'll, he's gonna go down as the best yeah. American goal scorer in the history of the game without question. Wow. So, you know, we'll see, but I, I enjoy what he is the best goal scorer. But there's a lot of guys that are pushing him right now, there's a lot of good goal scorers.
0: Yeah. And speaking of American born players, um, the NHL just announced that they are returning back to the Olympics in 2026, and as well potentially in 2030. And given that the league hasn't participated in the in the Olympics since 2014, like how big of a deal is it for this generation of 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 all stars who finally get their first chance to play in the Olympics, such as Austin Matthews for uh, the, the US, obviously Connor McDavid, um, yeah. uh, and, and, and so forth.
1: Listen, I think it's a good thing. I love playing in the Olympics. I was there in '98 and two thousand two. Yeah. Won the silver medal in two thousand two, and it's a different experience, right? Because for a lot of us, especially us in, in, you know, in America and you know, European countries, Russia, all these countries that are, um, you know, that Olympics is number one, right? It's yeah. the, it's it's the it's the accumulation of the greatest athletes on the planet in all different sports. Uh, there's not a bigger platform to tell you the truth so for me to have the nhl players who are the best players on the planet to involve themselves in the greatest um, olympic event in the world is it's fitting and i'm happy that they're doing it i understand why they didn't do it the last few years Uh, there are a lot of dynamics that go into it but uh, good for the league to allow the police players to go back experience that situation allow their countries to root for the best players together for their own country. Uh, there's, I think there's a lot of fun of fun things to be excited about with the NHL players going to the Olympics. So I, to me, and that Four Nations Cup that they're going to have, yeah. that they just announced too, that's going to be a lot of fun. I mean, listen, we all talk about who's better, U.S. players, or the Canadian players. That we see it in juniors, but we never really see it in the National Hockey League. There are a lot of good American players in the yeah. National Hockey League right now. Obviously, Canada is always stacked with them. The Russians have a bunch of players. Finnish, Sweden—I mean, there's some amazing, amazing talent. Now we want to see them play together, and you know, it only promotes the game. I, I think that yeah. they're doing the, they're doing the right thing. They're promoting their they're promoting their product, and they're doing it in the right way.
0: You had the chance to play in the Olympics twice: um, the Winter Olympics of 1998 in Nagano, Japan, in 2002 in, in Salt Lake City, which is just a few months after um, 9/11. What are your memories of being selected to play for Team USA and how much on that honor meant to you as um, as being selected to represent the United States at the Olympics?
1: It was everything. It was everything. I mean, I'm a very patriotic person. I love my country like nobody's business. Um, Almost to a fault, I love it so much. Um, And, you know, to be able to put on that USA red, white, and blue to me was... um, the the greatest the greatest thing that I've ever done Um, whether it was when I was 16 years old playing in in the juniors or whether it was the world juniors at 18 um, or Olympics that's because you're not playing for a city you're playing for a country and you're playing with the best players all over the country and when you can get not you know nominated and put on a team and and recognized as one of the top 20 best players on your you know in your country If you don't feel if you don't feel proud about that, you got to check yourself for a pulse because there's something seriously wrong with you. And, um, you know, it's it's a special thing and it'll never go away because we have the best country in the world, I think. And and I wanted to win for it every single time. I still want to win every single time.
0: Absolutely. I want to specifically focus on 2002 real quick, because that one was extra meaningful because I because because I just mentioned it was just barely five months after 9-11 mm-hmm. and everything that went into that O2 on um, winter Olympics in Salt Lake city just seemed to have an extra sense of pride and, and, and all for the right reasons. And I want to ask you what are your memories and recollection from being a part of the 2002 winter Olympics?
1: Yeah. Well, I think when you say pride, it was, it was at an all time high because yes, here, here, here we are coming out of the worst uh, terrorist disaster an attack in, in, in our history. Mm -hmm. And, um, we were mad. We were mad as, as a country. We were, um, we were very, I think on guard as our country. Um, And remember going, putting on that red, white, and blue, knowing that, um, that we are sticking up for and playing for 3,800 people that, that lost their lives at, at, at the twin towers. Mm -hmm. Um, knowing that these people that did this aren't going to stop us from, Doing what we love to do, the land of the free, the home of the brave. We're going to go out there. We're going to we're going to we're going to play in the Olympics, and we're going to be the we're going to be the best team in the Olympics, and we're going to do our thing. And I remember the security was off the charts. How tough it was to get anywhere in the Olympic Village to get into the mm-hmm. arena. You had to go through metal detectors. You had to go through you know different screenings every single person. So they really were. It was a really high intense um, event that that I'll never forget. But the great thing about this whole thing, right when I, I was 10 years old when U.S won in 1980 mm-hmm. and I remember I remember that game like it was like it was yesterday with Mike Ruggi, and Mike Rouzie only scoring with Jim Craig wearing the, the flag around looking for his dad, the call um, you know from Al Michaels, you know do you believe in miracles? These, that game made me want to be a, a professional made Chris Chelios want to be a professional, Mike Medano, Keith mm. Kachuk, Tony Amonti, John LeClaire, Dougie Waite, Billy Guerin, Brian Leach. So all these kids that were motivated by 1980. And at that time, we were not a powerhouse. We were actually a, a terrible uh, hockey power in the world. Mm. And, you know, looking 16 years later, winning the World Cup um, in New York, then six years later from that, cumulating cumulating that that win into the biggest stage of all time the Olympics and being in the finals against Canada and even though we lost even though we lost the United States was on the world stage in the final game of the biggest tournament in hockey in the world the Olympics to play for the gold medal and bro, we were there we got there it was it was us that created you United States to be a world power and now us we were watched by the Austin Matthews, by the Clayton mm-hmm. Kellers, yeah, by yeah. the you know the Troy Terrys. The, these yes. these guys that now are the are the you know the, the uh, Patrick Keynes, mm-hmm. right? Those guys watched us. So we created a world power, and now we have these awesome USA players that are continuing the world power that all started from 1980, which was the most the biggest upset in in sports history, mm-hmm. and that's why 2002 was important was special.
0: Like, thank you for sharing that like with me and, and like and peeling back the current a little bit because I re- cause I remember that time period well like I was young but I but I didn't fully understand what I was watching on TV in terms of the significance of that 0 two Winter Olympics and given it was five months after 9 11 but thank you for sharing that like with me <laughs> in terms of like Let's just uh, sharing with me in terms of the significance of that time period um especially representing the um the US for the own USA men's hockey team there's a couple of, there's two more questions left um before I let you go. Um, As far as the current NHL is concerned, in terms of the, uh, the Boston Bruins, the Bruins in the Eastern Conference right now, I think they're one of two teams that could potentially come out of the East, the other being the Florida Panthers. But as it pertains to the Boston Bruins, I do feel that there are concerns in terms of... Secondary scoring outside of Marsha um, and Pasanak and as well as Axaka and Charlie he's having he's having a career year and so forth, but I feel like the bottom six is is weak. Do you think that the Bruins are in the position to be able to make a move where it will it can only bolster the bottom six and as well as potentially the blue line as well? I want to get your thoughts on that.
1: Well, I, I obviously they have a great front six. Uh, yeah. They have a great front uh, back three. They have two great goaltenders. Uh, they have all the all the bones to, you know, to go a long way. But there's one thing that the Boston Bruins always do every single year: is they go out at trade deadline to get exactly what they need. And there's no question that that Donny Sweeney is going to go out and find exactly what they need, whether it's a a utility player, whether it's a penalty killer, whether it's a uh, a veteran leader. They will find the right pieces at the trade deadline uh, to fill up any void. That they have. When you have two goaltenders like Olmark and Swayman, you, you can you can do anything to, in front of them. Um, you did say Florida Panthers. I, I do believe that they will again be uh, a force to be reckoned with. But be very careful about the New York Rangers. Be mm. very careful about the Carolina Hurricanes because they're teams that, even though the Hurricanes aren't really doing much right now, or at least like ex- it, you know exciting any anybody, they have the potential of, of really. Doing things come playoff time because of the way that they play, and this is a far shout, a far cry. But you got Patrick Waugh now the coach of the New, the, yeah. the New York Islanders. Mm-hmm. New York Islanders are the team for me to watch in, this, in the last third of this season. Uh, they started last night beating Toronto in Toronto three two. I mm-hmm. think this New Jer- this this uh, Long Island team, the New York Islanders, can be a very very difficult team to play against. With Patrick Wyatt, at the helm, I'm going to be really interested to see how they how they roll into the playoff season.
0: Absolutely, and last question to wrap up the episode of the podcast. When you look at both the East and West. It seemed like this year in the NHL, there's been a, a shift and a change, a lot in terms of like the head coaches, especially out west with uh, with both the Kings and as well as the Edmonton Oilers, yeah, the Edmonton St. Oilers St. Louis, right yeah, now, yeah. and in St. Louis as well. The, the Oilers they're, they're on a 16 game winning streak, on which that they're they're going to have their hands full tonight against the Vegas Golden Knights, and I want to ask you in lastly in conclusion. Has there any? Has there been anything that has stood out to you in terms of the Edmonton Oilers, in terms of what has made them be able to go on such a historic run and be able to finally figure things out after they were unable to do so under Jay Woodcroft? And as well as what do you see as the biggest difference maker with this Edmonton Oilers team now that, that has led you to believe that they, they can potentially make a run on um, for the Stanley Cup finally this year?
1: Finally break through? Um, number one... Listen, I love Jay Woodcroft. He was a great coach, right? He was a very, very smart guy. Um, Connor McDavid runs that team. I don't care what anybody says. Connor McDavid makes the calls on that team. That coach that's there right now is there because Connor McDavid. Connor McDavid is happy. And I think this coach has really allowed this team to be, to play the way that they can play, the way that they want to play, but also knowing and understanding that there needs to be a very smart system I think what Jay did in the beginning of the season, from going from a man-on-man mentality to a zone mentality to a you know to a box mentality, is was the wrong move for that team. That team needs to be skating. They need to be moving. Um, you know, Hyman's having a great year. Evander Kane is playing very well. I think on the ba- on the back end, Ekholm is again playing very strong. They, they have they have all the characteristics of what a championship team needs. But they need the effort and the preparation, and I think this new coach has allowed them to have a, a voice. I think they, he's allowed them to play their game, because he's letting Connor play his game, and Connor, I think Connor's message to this team has been really strong, as well as sidles. and you know Skinner has played out of his mind. So when you have a goaltender that's playing as well as Skinner with that talent in front of him. Look out! They're gonna they're gonna take chances and they're gonna win hockey games. Unfortunately, I think I think the streak comes to an end tonight in Vegas. You can't.
0: Wow! <laughs> yeah,
1: it's I think it's hard to take eight or nine days off right before and yeah. and come back and play a team like Vegas in Vegas, which is one of the harder places to play. Um, I'm just gonna go on a limb and think that I don't want them to lose. But I think Vegas might might be really geared up and ready to end that streak tonight.
0: <laughs> Jeremy Ronick you can catch on the Snipes and Tripes uh, podcast with Tim Peel, former NHL referee um, on Believe and as well as um, other um, platforms as well. Um, former All-Star 500-goal scorer extraordinaire. Uh, Jeremy, again, thank you. Says I've had so much fun chatting with you, all things NHL, and as well as t- looking back in your um, career and t- – and um, talking about some um some meaningful um moments and places with you. So thank you. Well,
1: you're the best, righty. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks for dealing with me with my, my pedicure and <laughs> being out and about, you know, that's what I'm doing. Absolute. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Right. My my pleasure, man. Thank you, man. All
1: right, be good. Bye-bye. Take care. Ooh.
0: Thank you for listening to Believe.